it's a lot nicer under the covers. But today, you see, we do talk about these lyrics. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Some things might have changed from his very first episode to his very last episode, but what did not change was those words. And in the end, he says, won't you please, won't you please, please won't you be my neighbor? This is week eight in the conversationalist series talking about Jesus and his parables, his teaching, his wisdom. Jesus, the ultimate teacher, is a great teacher, the one with all wisdom for everyday living. And he gives us wisdom for how we are to live. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be there probably in a few minutes yet, but you can get ready. Um, you see, we've spent a lot of time so far talking about the parable of the sower and talking about ourselves, our own forgiveness of our sins, speaking about the word of God within our lives <clears throat> and kingdom living with the spirit living within us. But today I want us to change our direction just a bit. I think you can already guess from the TV show, the, the Mr. Rogers neighborhood, that we're looking to our neighbors to love them as we love ourselves, because it's Valentine's Day. I hope you all remember that. Actually, we're not preaching on love because it's Valentine's Day, but we are preaching about love in some ways. You see, even the Bible tells us that God showed us his love in sending Jesus to die for us yet while we were still sinners. And why did he do that? He did that because we needed forgiveness from our sins. There's no other way to truly ever have a restored relationship with him except through Jesus dying on that cross so that we could be forgiven. You see, even though a lot changed from that first episode to that last episode, Mr. Rogers still knew that he needed to be neighborly. And sometimes that means we need to invite others into our neighborhood. Won't you please, won't you please, please won't you be my neighbor. In fact, they even continued this idea on with Daniel Tiger's neighborhood. I know some kids in here have seen that. They continued on with a tribute movie to this idea with Tom Hanks playing Mr. Rogers. Never saw it, I'll admit. But here's what I want you to see. We need to be like Mr. Rogers' theme song. We need to be neighborly. We need to show forgiveness. We need to show love. Because just as we needed forgiveness... They need forgiveness. Mark 12, 29 to 31 tells us that the greatest second commandment after the order to love God is to love others. Listen, Jesus says regarding the greatest commandment, the most important one, answer Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strengths. But don't stop there. He says second. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. So you see, it's not enough to simply, and, to, and it is a lot simple, simpler, to love our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, for the seed planted within us. But as that seed grows, as we become fruitful, we must also love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And part of loving others is forgiving others. Part of being a good neighbor, part of inviting others to be our neighbor, is showing love through forgiveness. You see, we must unite together for the kingdom of God. Let us unite together around the love and forgiveness 
that we have through Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. That is one thing that can be like a battle cry to us. It can help bring us together. That although we are all sinners, none are righteous, no, not one, we can all come together and unite around Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And this should be cause to fight a battle that is beyond ourselves, to live beyond ourselves. We must be a house united, not divided. To be a good neighbor. You see, Matthew 12, 25 says, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. We must be united. You see, there are two different types of neighbors. And I'd like to take a moment just to encourage you. Get a pen out, a piece of paper, your bulletin if you want to take notes. I apologize. I don't have slides for you today. But I'll try to repeat some things for you when I, I think they're especially important. But write some things down. As we continue, I want you to see that we see two types of neighbors in the world today. And these are often portrayed in movies and TV shows. Not Mr. Rogers, but other TV shows, especially old sitcoms. Now, we see TV shows who portray neighbors who are always at war. Family feuds, the Hatfields and the McCoys. People who are always out to get each other or people who are always suspicious of one another. I think of one old TV show which the neighbor always had her binoculars at the window checking out the neighbor's house trying to see what are they doing wrong now. And she would tell her husband, look, look, Harry. I don't know what his name was. <laughs> look, look what they're doing now. And then the husband would come and look and nothing was happening by the time he'd get over there. You have those neighbors who are always looking for the wrongful. But then you have the other neighbors. Maybe you can remember this portrayed in TV shows. Maybe in your own life. You have the neighbors who are always having one another over for cookouts, parties, sharing pies. Oh, I love pies. Anybody want to share a pie with me? I will always accept it. Or sharing cups of sugar. I don't think you see that very often anymore, but you used to see that in TV shows. People would come over and say, yeah, can I borrow a cup of sugar? We should be like that second group of neighbors. We must be friendly, loving, forgiving, but we must make sure that we're not just fake neighbors. We must make sure that it's coming from our heart. Because we also see in Mark 3, 31 to 35, Jesus speaking of us being all family, brothers and sisters through our faith in Christ. And we should love each other as family. I love that Pastor Chuck in the children's message this morning talked a little bit about that. You see, as families, we get on each other's nerves. We irritate one another. Shania may punch her sister, and she may get mad at her, but then the next day they realize, you know what? You're still my sister. I love you. Right? Good. Thank you for shaking your head. Yes. You see, we do some terrible things within our families, but we always or most of the time come around, and if we don't come around, we should come around and show love to one another. Sometimes that means our families don't talk for years. And some of you know what I'm talking about. And for right reason, for wrong reason, we don't talk to one another because some type of feud between brothers, between sisters, between mom and son, father and son. But what you see most often, if they have the chance, is something brings them together. Because once some big circumstance happens, whether it be a health issue or whether it be somebody fighting their brother, that, that other family member comes in and, you, and says, no, that is my brother and I love them. And they stand up for them. Or they care for them in their time of need. And that is as we do. 
as family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we should be showing love to one another. In fact, if you evaluate the Bible, Jesus' words, actions, teachings, and the parable we're going to look at here in just a few moments, you will see this general, general idea of loving one another, caring for each other, forgiving one another, building each other up. What you will not see, or at least as an okayed principle, what you will not see is the church being divided, devouring one another, or tearing each other up. No. No, no, no. God does not want us tearing each other apart. God wants us building up the kingdom, building up our brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can stand strong against the enemy with each other, holding each other up when they're being pushed over hard by the wind, by the storms around them. For if we are so busy fighting within the walls, there's nobody watching the walls from Satan's attacks. Satan wants nothing more than to see us fighting with each other because that gives him an open door to work his work against God's plans. But God's plans will prevail. Here's a point for you note takers. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. You see, standing in unity with other Christians around the person of Jesus Christ will help us fight against the enemy. Let me say that again. Standing in unity with other Christians around the person of Jesus Christ will help us fight against the enemy. It will also help us to live better lives together as God intended and to accomplish his purpose. I'll say that one final time, and then I'll say, if any of these notes or scripture points you don't get because I don't have slides, email me later. I will email you the entire copy of my notes. But standing in unity, this is what we are called to do. This is what we should be doing. We should be standing in unity with other Christians around the person of Jesus Christ. And this will help us fight against the enemy. The enemy is Satan, his supernatural army, his effects on the sin-filled, broken world. It will help us to fight against the enemy. It will also help us to live better lives together as God intended and to accomplish his purposes. This is an idea that we should be putting to memory, putting into action into our lives. But to have unity, to have this unity that we speak of, to fight against the enemy, to fight against Satan, we must unite together. And to unite together, we must show love. And to show love means also showing forgiveness. You know, this isn't just some nice saying, a worldly principle. This is a godly command and a godly principle, one that Jesus shows us, 1 John 4, 21 says, And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Our love for God shall unite us together despite our differences, despite past personal sins against us. We must forgive. We must love. We must be neighborly. And in these things, we find the love to surpass all other things. You see, we look to the love of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and we see that forgiveness which he gave us. And it gives us power to overcome other things because we see that despite all this person has done to me, it is unsurpassable. It's, it's uncomparable compared to my sin against a holy God. And yet he forgave all my sin freely. Leviticus 19.18 says, Forget about the wrong things people do to you. Forget it. Don't even try to get even. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
I am the Lord. I am the Lord, he says. That's him signing his name as if you need to know, well, who's saying this? Do I really need to pay attention? Do I really need to listen? Do I really need to say this? He says, I am the Lord. Yes, forget about the wrong things people do to you. Don't try to get even. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. We move forward today with a parable of the unforgiving servant, the unmerciful servant out of, and I, I forget, I hope I told you the right one, Matthew 18. I said the parable of the sower for so many weeks. I hope I said Matthew 18, verse 21 to 35. Please follow along as I read. Matthew 18, 21 to 35. And we start with this. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. That's Peter saying, I'm sorry. As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but up to 77 times, or some translations say 70 times seven. And verse 23 says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may, it be, may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So let me break real fast for a few things. One to say, we start off with Peter asking Jesus, how often should I forgive my brother? Now, it, it was typical in the religious discussions of this day by the rabbis to teach that you should forgive at least three times and on the first time for a, the same sin. Oh, it's unforgi unforgivable. Nope, too much, too late. But Jesus goes on and says, no, you must continue to forgive. But then he tells a story to help them to understand, a parable, an analogy, an idea, a picture. He paints a picture. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now let's pause for a moment and just consider briefly how big of a debt this truly is. Research shows that the number 10,000 was the largest number in the Greek language. And because of that, it was often used figuratively for meaning countless. This person had such a large debt, so big of a debt, that it was countless. It could never be repaid. It's been translated to also say that it could have been up to 200,000 years worth of labor back in the day. Or some have said $10 million worth of money today. But the exact amount of money is not what matters. What matters is seeing that it is such a large amount that there is no way that it could ever truly be repaid. And he goes on. And yet, yet what we'll see is that he will be forgiven, but out of compassion. He goes on in verse 24 and says, 25... And since he could not pay, his master ordered him, the king ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees. He fell on his knees, guys, pleading because this wasn't some little debt. He was about to be arrested for his entire life, his kids with him, his wife with him. He's being sent to jail. And who knows what would happen to him there. Have you ever seen, I know you have, when people get arrested, they get the judge, the jury, they enact their punishment on him, and they say, well, you're probably going to live for 80 years, but you've racked up 350 years worth of jail time. It's like, why? It doesn't even make sense. 
But in this case, that's like what it was. They say it could have been up to 200,000 years worth of labor in jail. And yet what we see is the servant fell on his knees, imploring and pleading with him, have patience with me. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped ahead again, didn't I? No, I didn't. We're good. Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master, the king of that servant, released him and forgave him the debt. Now, it wasn't because the servant said, I will pay you back. I work hard every single day of my life. No, the king just had compassion on him and said, it's forgiven. It's done. But what we see next is a problem. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him. Now, how many of us have done this? We've been forgiven of something. We've seen great grace, great mercy, and yet we go out and do the exact opposite of what we just received. I think many of us can say we've done this. Um, Let me give you an example. You just got embarrassed. That's what happens here. I think this guy, he got embarrassed. He got almost imprisoned. He almost was judged. He was almost penalized greatly. He was ashamed of not having the money to repay the master, the king. So even though he's been forgiven, he goes out to Mr. Billy Bob and said, Mr. Billy Bob, I need my money now. James, give me my money. Because he, he's lost every bit of pride he had. And he says, you know what? I'm going to be in better shape next time with my money. I'm going to go and I'm going to collect all my money so that next time I'll be able to repay. Now let me take a moment to say, this ultimately is not a story about money. It is a story which relates God to his people, God to his servants, God to his children. It relates of how God has forgiven us of all debt, all sins, or through Jesus Christ we can be. And yet we so often go to our brothers and sisters in Christ and we won't forgive them of what they've done against us. Let's read on and see the example we get here. Verse 28. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him. A hundred denarii. Now, a hundred denarii would be nothing in comparison. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me. Sound familiar? It should, but what we see next is different. And I will pay you. Or verse 30. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have mercy, have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And pay attention on verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now again, ultimately this is not about money. Yes, it's a great example. It's a great story. It's a great parallel to our lives. But I'm not saying that if, some, if you have a loan with somebody and somebody else forgives you of a loan, you need to get, then go and forgive them of a loan. Now, sometimes that might be a great, um, a great gift, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a general idea of forgiveness and how God has forgiven us of such great atrocities, sin against him, freely through the blood, the body of Jesus Christ. 
And we need to use that as an example on how we forgive others. Here's the big idea of my message here. I think we see this in this story. So if you're taking notes, it's this. The big idea is this. God is merciful and forgiving. And he expects the same from his disciples. God is merciful and forgiving and he expects the same from his disciples. Now I think this parable is quite, um, quite simple to understand. This parable is not meant to be too confused, but to help clarify the ideas of forgiveness. So we're not going to pick apart every statement, every verse. But what I do want to talk about is the big ideas and how it applies to our life. Some application. How are we to live now knowing Jesus' examples here, Jesus' words, Jesus' stories? How are we to take his wisdom and apply it to our everyday life? Because that's what he wants us to do. So this parable is a story that illustrates a truth about the kingdom of heaven. As with any parable, it has a point, a key point, and several other key figures to help us to relate to our lives. In this parable, as I said, the king is representative of God, and the servants represent mankind. For all men and women, including those in rebellion, are God's people, God's servants, God's children. And we see this example, this big idea again, this key point. God is merciful and forgiving, and he expects the same from his disciples. I want you to write down in your notes Ephesians 4.32. I'm going to say that's another key verse we can relate to this. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So number one, what I want us to see is forgive others as you have been forgiven. We must forgive others as we have been forgiven. That means not because we deserve it, not because we've paid our debt or we've paid for our forgiveness, but out of humility, out of love, out of compassion on our brothers, on our sisters, on, out for other people. Just as the king had compassion on the servant, he forgave them. Just as, except the king, God, he didn't need forgiveness. It was even more compassion. But when it's related to us, we forgive as we've been forgiven. Let's move forward here. You see, in God's great mercy, he gave his son to die in our place, compassionately, just as the king. We were born in sin. We are all sinners. We should die for our sin. But the gift of God is eternal life, and God wishes his desire would be for all to repent. 2 Peter 3, 9. But we know that not all will. But when we expect God's mercy, we must then show mercy towards others as well. Help others to see God's mercy and love. John Piper once said, and I love this quote, God forgave us when we believed in Christ. Acts 10, 43. Then from this broken, joyful, grateful, hopeful experience of being forgiven, we must also forgive others. Let me say that once more. God forgave us when we believed in Christ. Then from this broken, joyful, grateful, hopeful experience of forgiveness, we must also forgive others. That so relates to Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Or, again, that key idea... God is merciful and forgiving, and he expects the same from his disciples. But looking back to this illustration, this parable, we see number two. We must forgive endlessly and mercifully all 
debt. All debt. The king says that he forgave all the servants' debt. God himself has forgiven all of our sins. He does not hold on to a record of wrong to keep pointing in our face. No, he wipes the slate clean. We're wiped. Our blood is, is wiped clean. And we're seen as white as snow. We need to make sure we're not keeping a record of wrongs against those against us. So we see Peter. He comes to Jesus and he asks, how often must he forgive others their sins against him? Now I already said, in discussions of the day, they would say three times. We kind of wish that was true, don't we? Sometimes we just wish that Jesus would be like an umpire at a baseball game and say, three strikes, you're out. Did I wake anybody up? That's not what Jesus does, though. Jesus goes on and he says, you must continue to forgive. Always forgive. Oh, how wish we had, we had a number here, but God doesn't do that. Jesus answers Peter with an answer and a story. The answer is 77 times or 70 times 7. The story is what we read. But again, please know it's not the exact number what matters. What matters is that we see that the number is so large that we can't even begin to try to remember, and we shouldn't. We shouldn't take a pad of paper and write down, number one case that this person wronged me, number two case this person wronged me, number three, no. He gives us such a number so that we don't keep a record of wrongs. We forget what has happened. Rather, he teaches that forgiveness of fellow brothers and sisters cannot possibly be limited by frequency or quantity. For as the parable shows, all have been forgiven far more than what you ever have to forgive. All have been forgiven far more than what you ever have to forgive. We see that in this example of the parable, too. The king, the master, had forgiven such a great number in comparison to what that servant would have to forgive of the other. Jesus' point is that we should not limit our forgiveness of one another to a number. We should not keep count. There should be no record-keeping, no keeping of wrongdoings, for number three is forgiveness means we must move forward together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We move forward together. We will not keep a record of wrongdoing, but we'll forgive others just as God has forgiven us. We do not hold grudges. We do not continue to pour out judgment upon them. Or we don't continue to have a feud with our neighbors like some of that TV sh those TV shows. We allow those things to be swept away with the wind. Now, it does not mean that forgive and forget in a way of allowing ourselves to remain in situations where we are continually hurt and abused over and over again. Or as one once stated, this was Sam Storns in a blog on the Act 20, Acts 29 network on forgiveness. He said, forgiveness does not mean you become a helpless and passive doormat for their continual sins. And it does not mean that we don't point out sin. You see, some people say, well, it's God's, it's God's duty to judge, not mine. So we just continue to point all, out all the good things. No, there are things that God has already judged. And for us not to point out the wrongdoing, it's allowing them to continue to sin, which is not showing them the love of Christ. We do need to show them the wrongdoings. But when it comes to our personal sins which have acted upon us, we do need to forget the past sin in a way which helps both parties to move forward for the glory of God. But only after proper reconciliation and forgiveness so that both parties can truly move forward. You can't move forward without dealing with the hurt. 
Just as you don't deal with a bad cut by just letting the wound continue to bleed. You must bandage it, but then you must make sure that it properly heals too. John Piper recently also said in another article on forgiveness, Our forgiving others shows that we have faith. We're united to Christ. We are indwelt by the gracious, humbling Holy Spirit and empowered to live on with his wisdom, strength, power, and purpose in mind. I'll say that once more. John Piper, our forgiving others shows that we have faith. We're united to Christ. We are indwelt by the gracious, humbling Holy Spirit and empowered to live on with his wisdom, strength, power, and purpose in mind. So again, we see this thought, this big idea, and I hope I've said it enough for you as we start to wrap to close. God is merciful and forgiving, and he expects the same from his disciples. We must forgive. We must love. We must invite people to be our neighbors and truly be a good neighbor and show them our heart, but not because they deserve it, not because you deserved it, not because they've paid their debt, not because we've paid our debt from God, but because we show them what we've received from God. Now, I know that forgiving is hard. But in the end here, we also see at the end of the parable of this unforgiving, unmerciful servant that he's punished for his actions. Jesus says that God will do the same to his unmerciful servants as well. Again, forgiving is hard. I know I may be younger than some of you, but I've had hard things happen to me too. I've had, I've had feuds too. I've been hurt many times and I've hurt many people too. And I seek forgiveness. Maybe sometimes not as hard as what I should. And this speaks to me too. I know I've woke up in the morning to take my shower, just like many of you, and I cry in that shower as I'm hurt by people who have said, said bad things or done bad things to me or my family. But it does not change the fact that we're commanded to love others, to care for others, to be tenderhearted to others, to forgive one another just as God, through Jesus, forgave us. Remember that key verse from the beginning. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. You see, it's hard to forgive, but it's much easier when we see all that God has forgiven us for. It's also been said, a Christian's love for God can be measured by the way he treats his fellow man. A lack of kindness and mercy shows a lack of God in the life. What do your neighbors see? What do they hear? I hope they see a good neighbor, one that sees the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the grace and mercy of God. Not neighbors who are continuing to feud over things of the past which have no relation to today. Finally, before we wrap up, I want to acknowledge two more things. One is, we're still sinners. We're still sinners. I hope I don't need to ask forgiveness just for calling you a sinner. We should all know we are still sinners, and each and every single day we need to look to the love of God through Christ to thank God for continuing every day to forgive us for continuing to sin. But we also continue to look to the love of God through Christ to continually see how even today we need to forgive those who trespass against us. And that's that final point there. You see, one final thing is we need to pray it. We need to pray forgiveness. Jesus taught us in his example of prayer of Matthew 5 to pray and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do you pray in a manner like that?
Jesus also said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You cannot earn mercy, but those who receive mercy must demonstrate it by showing it to others. So I close with three points for you to take home. The take home. The applications here. Number one is this. Remember that big idea. Because that big idea isn't just something for today's sermon. That, that big idea is something for every day of our lives. God is merciful and forgiving and he expects the same from his disciples. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've repented, you've turned away from your sins, and you've, you've asked Jesus, you've asked God for forgiveness, and you're now living according to his ways, that means you're his disciple and every day you're learning, every day you're working to become more like him. Number two, remember that key verse, Ephesians 4.32. Put it to memory, put it into action. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. But as the great um, previous pastor Spurgeon once said, But if we forgive in words only, but not from our hearts, we remain under the same condemnation. So don't just say it and not mean it. Ask the Holy Spirit, ask God to help you. To really process that through your heart so that you can truly say it with heart. So you can truly put the past personal sins behind you to move forward to continue to God, do God's purposes in your life today. To have kingdom living and to glorify him. And number three, and the final one, and you'll love to hear this. Let's close in prayer. But as we close, the number three is this. Let's not just pray for forgiveness for ourselves. But let's ask God's spirit to help lead us to love and forgive others too. With heart. And furthermore, as we pray that, ask him to point out specific names to you. Of people that maybe you're holding on to grudges with. You're holding on to feuds with. And it's preventing you from truly glorifying God with your whole heart. It's preventing you too from continuing to truly work to the glory of God in all things. Let's pray these things. Let's be neighborly. Let's show love. Let's show forgiveness. Please bow your heads in prayer now. Lord, we thank you for the ultimate example of love and forgiveness you gave us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's through him, it's through your compassion through him that we are saved. And Lord, I ask these people in here today, if, if they've truly never asked forgiveness of you for their sins, that they would do it today, Lord, that they would say, Lord, please forgive me for my wrongdoings I've committed against you. For not following your word, your will, your actions, your teachings. Lord, please forgive me and help me to turn away from those things and follow you. I trust in you as Lord and Savior. And Lord, if we have said those things, Lord, I pray that we would forgive others just as you have forgiven us. Lord, give us names today of people who maybe we don't even realize, maybe we've put up walls to not look to the past personal sins anymore, but maybe you know that we, we still need to forgive that person. We still, need to, we still need to seek forgiveness, and that starts with you, Lord. Please forgive us for holding on to things which do not glorify you or which is preventing us from continuing to work to your glory. Help us to seek reconciliation and forgiveness and to show people, to show the world how much you love us. And it's in your holy and powerful name, I pray. And we all say, amen. Before we leave, there's one more example I forgot to say, and I just really want to say it here. You see, there's a moment in our lives that we need to humble ourselves. To love those who we think of as unlovable. To forgive those who even maybe have never even sought forgiveness. 
We need to show them forgiveness. We need to show them love even though they may not deserve love. Oh, we've never even seen them come to us and try and ask forgiveness. And maybe they're continuing in that moment even acting badly to us. Speaking illy, illy, badly of our wife, of our kids, of our families, of our church, of our God. And yet we still need to show them love and forgiveness. And here's my prayer, guys. I hope you will join me. In choosing to even forgive those people, we should pray that they would notice the grace and mercy that they've received and come to you and ask why. Why, Patrick, do you choose to forgive me when I've never even asked you to and I continue to spit on your family and on you every day and yet you're showing me love? And we pray that we'll have the opportunity to then say, you know what? I do it because Christ Jesus first did it for me. And I didn't deserve it either. But I give it to you now so that you'll see the love of Christ. Amen. Thank you. We're going to close now just with that statement, that thought as... Sunday school officially starts in four minutes. (laughs) Have a great day.